0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Forgecast. Thanks for being patient for us. Happy Christmas. And let's get into today's episode. But before we get in there, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor.
1: Today's Forgecast is brought to you by Weber Abrasives, where Aussie makers get all the best abrasives at all the best prices. Head up Rob today at webers.net.au.
0: What have you been up to in the uh, intervening couple of weeks, Alex?
1: (laughs) Dying of hay fever. Man, Man, it has been rough. Absolutely bloody rough. And I'm not alone, apparently. Worldwide this year, hay fever has been... Apparently hitting people ten times worse than they'd ever had it before, and scientists reckon it's global warming doing it. Um, but that's just a preliminary thing; they're still looking into why it's happening. They're not sure.
0: Mm. But um, I've been living in
1: my my schmerza flow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I did notice it in the uh, most recent video you did. Um, I, I didn't yeah. realize how bad it was until I watched that video and went, Ooh, "Wow, yeah, okay."
1: Yeah, what you don't see in that video is that I would be in my respirator, take it off, shoot a scene, and then put it straight back on again. Um, And so the amount of watery redness in my eyes and my voice getting hoarse and everything was just from literally a few minutes of exposure.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: but it's 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 actually been uh, limiting my ability to work so drastically that um, it's it's been affecting quite a lot of the, the workflow, which is a bit a bit of a shame. I have managed to get some stuff done. I got a couple of uh, nice backlock knives mm. um, put out, which um, went well, um, and I, um, I've been I've I finished one, and I'm working on two more slip joints uh, inspired by the work of French knife maker Maison Berthier. Mm-hmm. um very different style of knife to what I normally do and I really dig it to be honest it's it's a cool look um, mm-hmm. and I've been inspired by his work for for a while that um, he um, I, I thought I'll, I'll give it a go and yeah kind of fell in love with it so um, those by the time this episode goes out the final two will have been finished and pro- probably sold because there's about four people on the dibs list forum <laughs> and I've been um, building my latest big project, um, which I'm calling Tusk, mm-hmm. which is a, um, a frame lock flipper where the frame side is all Damascus, the mm-hmm. pocket clip is all Damascus, the bolster is Mokimogane, and the handle scale is Mammoth Ivory. And uh, the blade is uh, Baker Forge and Tool Shichimai with uh, wrought iron and Damascus and copper.
0: Yeah, so, so just it's like all the, of the trappings. <laughs> it's like the most extra thing I've ever
1: made. Um, and I've never done a pocket clip before, but that went really well. Mm. I was really happy with how that came out. Um, nerve-wracking to do on such an extravagant piece, but uh, this is that knife I talked about weeks ago where I really wanted to do a knife that uh, a pocket knife that was worth four figures um and i've been i wanted it to not just be you know sell for four figures but be genuinely easily worth four figures Um, something that was just would blow people away like a real proper collector's piece Uh, i've made nice knives before but nothing that i'd say is definitely a collector's piece um this one will definitely hit on (laughs) on all (laughs) cylinders with that
0: i'm sure it Um, will
1: the main downside of this hay fever hitting me is, as I unfortunately won't be able to finish in time for the Sam buoy build off. Yeah. So um, that is a shame. Cause I still being doing this full time. I still need to focus all of any time that I'm out in the shed has to go primarily towards paying bills and, and, you know, keeping food on the table. So, um, it was something that I had been doing in spare time after I'd finished, um, other things. So, um i've been trying to work on it as i go but my plan was so extravagant and ridiculous and i've been pleased to see nobody else in the competition has come even close to what it was <laughs> um that I, I i can't see myself finishing it in time um that means I still
0: st- want to see it finished. <laughs> I am still going to finish it.
1: Uh, it. It is absolutely going to be finished, and I'm still probably not going to... I'm either not going to reveal it until it's done, or I'm not going to reveal it until after the competition has been judged, mm. um, because nobody's done anything even remotely similar. Um, and it it is working, mm. which is the amazing thing so far.
0: That that being said, um, like most of the buoy entries have been absolutely spectacular. Like I'm,
1: they have been mind-blowingly spectacular.
0: Yeah, I'm blown away at like how well some people are doing in in this build-off, and like I'm really glad to see that it's not just like the super experienced makers, but like literally everyone's jumping in on this. I had a couple of people who've never made a knife before jump in on the the competition and some people
1: like pulling out all the stops too like people putting out work that is clearly they've been inspired to new heights by the competition which has been really good I love it absolutely love it there's been a couple of entries that made me doubt my resolve for winning um, (laughs) as well Well, I have I have to admit just for a (laughs) moment I
0: have to admit looking at some of the entries I was like wow Alex was talking big game but woo he's gotta bring his A game
1: when uh, when people see it, uh, they're probably going to be like, "Yeah, I, I see it." Let's <laughs> uh, <laughs> see what he we meant. Shall see. <laughs> I've been I've been really tight lipped about it. Paul Broden um, he's constantly I can see him like in, in, when he visits, his eyes will be darting around <laughs> the shop trying to get a, a glimpse of it, but I always always know he's coming and hide it. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah people will see it it will be finished and it will be put up for sale but I, I don't see it being done in time hmm. who knows who knows I might my might yet I've, I've pulled off bigger feats in my life <laughs> so um, my song of the week is um, it's it's a it's an absolute bop it's one that's um, I heard ages ago because it was the uh, closing credits music um, of the movie uh employee of the month which is hilarious mm-hmm. it's, it's a stupid movie absolutely stupid movie but it's just so freaking funny um and i'd never heard this song before in my life i'd never even heard of the band and it was the closing credits music for that and i instantly had to look it up um which was hard because this was back in the day we didn't really had smartphones so um you couldn't just shazam it um <laughs> But the, the song is by a band called Teddy Bears. Um, and they're actually quite a sort of heavy band, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the song is not a heavy song at all. Because it features the, um, the vocals of a Jamaican singer called Mad Cobra. Um, and the song is called Cobra Style. And it's just... <laughs> it'll, it's one of those ones that will just get you dancing. Like you know, you can't, like like the Austin Powers theme. Like, you you can't hear it and not sort of get your groove on. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just one of those involuntary dancing songs. Nice. And the the Jamaican uh, uh, thick Jamaican accent rap uh, over the, the the rock music is just it works. It works on so many levels. It's so we, good. We kind of
0: got a, like a shaggy from Wasn't Me. <laughs> the feeling. Not, no,
1: I'm talking real thick Jamaican, not, right, not right. shaggy Jamaican.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've just got that image like in my head. <laughs> just that sound in my head. Rude boy! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. Mr. Lava Lover. lover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. What about you, Sam? What have you been up to this week? Or, well, well how many weeks has it been? Three, I think. months
0: month. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what have you been uh, up to this month? Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, I've been working on the Gravers sets that I was selling. I'm going to be selling very soon. I decided last minute that I'm not going to sell them just as a set of five Gravers. I'm also selling them with a Hammer and a Hisage Scraper as well. Nice. Um, because I figured that like if it's going to be an intro set and I'm only going to sell Four of these, five, four of these. I'm only going to sell four of these sets um, ever because I'm never making sets for other people again. <laughs> uh, I may as well make them comprehensive sets, or at least like you can use them straight out of the box sets. Um, now, comprehensive sets would be twenty plus, and that's you know a, a whole other kettle of fish, which I plan on dealing with another time. Um, but on top of that, I've also been doing a lot of work with, uh, my sword work. I made a pair of 1796 light cavalry sabers for Hema. Wind chimes. Uh, wind chimes, yeah. No, that was the, um, that was the integral saber. I actually decided to, uh, do something very, very silly and try and forge a saber, a briquette saber entirely integrally, uh, out of a piece of leaf spring, which was a massive pain in the ass, and it took three hour and a half long live streams in order to forge it out but uh, I got it forged and I'm actually really happy with how it came out like I had no plans going into it other than like a vague idea of how I was going to go about it and it came out almost perfect I was surprised
1: (laughs) (laughs) and a good tone to it too
0: yeah no it rings really well (laughs) I I had it hung up just to like take a photo of it and then I realized that as I tapped it with my hand, it rang, and I was like, oh, I've got to take a video of this, and show it to Alex. <laughs> yeah, the wind, wind chime man. <laughs> yeah, wind chimes. Um, but yeah, so I'm working on that um, briquette saber as well. Um, I actually forged out the uh, handle scales for it this afternoon. It sounds weird to say forging out your handle scales, but yes, I forged them out of copper. Um, briquette and...
1: saber sounds like
0: you're like that's how you get your barbecue started. Well, I mean, you, like you could... cut up your briquettes with it. <laughs> you could. You could, and you could do that. Um, <laughs> you could be the briquette. You just, you know, just need to do? add enough oxygen to burn the steel. Um, <laughs> completely off-tangent. Um, what else have I been working on? Oh, not much, to be honest. Like I've been trying to sort out my shop. I recently took purchase of a dust extraction system. Uh, oh, from, cool. Yeah, yeah, there was an industrial shop that shut down, a wood shop that shut down, and was selling their uh, house in-house made uh, 44-gallon drum dust collectors. <laughs> they're actually really well made, and they run on uh, balloon, uh, like bouncy castle yep. blowers. Um, cool. Yeah, they were selling them for 100 a piece, and so... Wow, I, that's a deal. Yeah, I dove on it, and they're really well made. Um, I've just got to set it up. I've got to cut the legs down, because it's actually too tall for my shed. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, there's been a lot of, uh, other stuff going on in the background that, you know, like, nothing to do with my blacksmithing and stuff like that, which has kind of kept me away from the, uh, the blacksmithing and the bladesmithing for a little while. But, uh, no, I'm back on track, and, uh, soon I'll be working on stuff for Perth Knife Show for next year, so February... 11th I believe is when the Perth knife show starts and I have to have stuff for the table and at the moment I have bugger all so Mm. (laughs) um and it's also getting up into the 40s this week uh which is very very upsetting because I was enjoying my like slightly cooler summer uh and I have to forge some uh presents before saturday <laughs> what's that like
1: 110 115 for the for the Americans yeah
0: something them? like that it's gonna be 43 yeah. degrees on on friday which is that's uh, like 120 yeah it's crazy crazy hot so uh not not fun times and i've got to forge out a uh i'm forging my dad my dad's into painting and drawing i'm gonna forge him a uh like a frame stand like a picture frame stand um yeah cool yeah, originally I was forging him some wood carving chisels, but I screwed them up, and now I am keeping them. They still work, but they don't look good. So. I'm going to be
1: making some uh, lathe tools for a uh, men's shed. In oh, that's, cool! Uh, forming, yeah. All the old blokes in the in the area are so put getting together and making a men's shed. They got a beautiful wood lathe for fifty mm. bucks.
0: Oh wow!
1: Uh, yeah, somebody just gave it to for fifty bucks because it's for the men's shed, mm. but it had no tools with it. And uh, I was talking to one of the guys, and they're like, yeah, we just need to pick up some tools. And I'm like, do you have any idea how expensive lathe tools are? <laughs> I mean, good like, ones no. are... Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'll make you some, don't worry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually made my dad a full set of uh, lathe tools for lo- uh, last year's Christmas, funnily enough. <laughs>
1: they're, a, they're a nice, simple thing to make uh, mm. if you know how to move and heat treat metal well. Yeah. Um, and they make a big difference to have a nice set.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, so I actually... One of the things that I made for him as part of the kit was another (laughs) wood-turning gouge, a bowl gouge. Um, But yeah, so uh, that's that's taken up all my time. I really need to start working on uh, the commissions that I've got backed up. But uh, like I said, I've been a little distracted with other stuff. uh, So, (sighs) lots and lots of stuff going on. But uh, my song of the week, um, I kind of... Have been on a more of a sea, more sea shanties and and you know <laughs> <Huge> <laughs> writing, sea shanties, writing songs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the artist who wrote um, the "I Want to Be Even Cavalry," which I love the cover by Seth Satin Watkins, uh, Corb Lund is his name, um, C O R B L U um, N D. He also wrote a song on the same album called "Horse Soldier." Horse Soldier, which is literally Horse Soldier, comma, Horse Soldier, and the it's the, uh, actually the title song of the album uh, and it basically covers all of the various horse soldiery that has been done since time immemorial and names a bunch of, like, famous battles in which, um, horse soldiers were, uh, used and it's just, it's lyrically fun it's got a really good beat to it really well put together, and I really enjoy it uh, and I, I just kept finding myself playing it on repeat <laughs> in, in, right. my, in my lists. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really good song. And while I prefer Seth Watkins' cover of his uh, I Want to Be in the Cavalry, his version of Horse Soldier is, is awesome. So definitely well worth a listen. Very cool.
1: Well, we have quite a few emails, but do you want to get inspirations out of the way first?
0: Oh, sure.
1: Well, my inspiration recently has actually been a fellow YouTuber. Um, Although calling us both, uh, putting us both in the same category like that (laughs) is not right because he has millions of viewers. Um, But I get a lot of people ask me questions about the fact that I. Have worked in so many different fields and, and have such a, a wide skill set, and they'll, they'll often ask, like, how? And um, it took me a while to realize, but I only have one thing that I'm really good at in life, and that's hmm. learning. I'm just, I have, I, I didn't I always just thought I was just, it was normal that people could learn as fast as I do. I just learn really fast. But this youtuber has made it their mission to get better at learning and his youtube channel has documented that process and it shows him learning all these new things but not just learning the thing but learning how to learn the thing um and he's taken it to such an extent now that he has online courses that teach you how to be a better learner because it makes you just better at picking up everything Um, And the YouTuber is Mike Boyd Mm -hmm. Um, Got a thick Glasgow accent Which I just love I could listen to this guy read out of a phone book And be happy (laughs) Um, But the the guy is Genuinely fascinating Mm. Um, He's just Every video he puts out It's him learning a new skill From scratch And I mean with no prior experience Whatsoever Sometimes it's quite intense things like learning how to do computer programming. Other Mm -hmm. times it's uh, more novelty things like how to juggle.
0: Yeah, Um, or how to (laughs) kickflip.
1: Yeah, things like that. Um, And he and his wife both feature on the channel, and they are adorable, um, by the way. Um, Mm. And he wanted to prove these system works and he sometimes he'll show his wife learning something that he's learned previously, uh, and show using the process of, of, learning it. And, um, he, he goes into how it can be frustrating to learn new things and, and how people give up a lot when they meet those frustrations. And, um, it's just really, really inspiring to see somebody that dedicated to learning as I am. And, um, seeing it be received so well because you know you you growing up you, when you're somebody that loves learning you you get called a nerd and and um <laughs> you know that so sort of it's, it's being smart is not seen as a positive thing when you're growing up um and being um worldly and, and being able to do a lot of things people even as an adult people start getting suspicious they're like well are you actually good at all these things or are you just full of bullshit mm. um Whereas Mike Boyd's um, perspective is just that just learn to learn and everything else sort of falls into place, which is very true. It's it's a very good skill to have. Um, and it's a skill that is declining, if you ask me. Um, yeah, a little bit. I've always, I'm the sort of person that will corner you at parties and rant about how the education system is <clears throat> screwed up because it just trains you to be a worker bee and not ask questions and have no creativity. <laughs> Um, like curiosity is beaten out of you as a child basically um, and um, you should want to learn you should be excited to learn but uh, it's sort of it's it's killed in school but uh, yeah Mike's channel if you're not subscribed to it is it's just amazing to watch absolutely just incredible it's it's he's very good at editing it's very high quality videos he manages to take very complex processes and knock them down to usually about seven or eight minute long videos which are really easy to digest
0: yeah they're, they're great um, i love Mike Boyd stuff
1: yeah it's incredible and um yeah the the torture he puts himself through on some of those tests is uh is agonizing to watch but uh yeah definitely worth hitting him up um
0: i mean some of you may have come across him through alex Steele's channel where he's featured That's a couple right. of times.
1: He, he, did, he did appear there to learn
0: to forge, yeah. He also learned how to throw tomahawks, which Alex Alec made him, and he also appeared in the Zweihander series, trying to teach Alec how to pronounce Zweihander, <laughs> Sorry, um, Claymore, <laughs> Scottish Claymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's featured on Alec's channel a couple of times, but yeah. Yeah, he'd be a person who'd be absolutely
1: fascinating to talk to, I think. Um, one of those people that, like, I, I like to call them dinner party people. It's sort of, I'm, I'm a very antisocial person, but there are certain people I'd be, I'd love to have over for dinner because they'd just be fascinating to talk
0: to. Oh man, yeah, you could talk your ear
1: off for a year. <laughs> yeah, so definitely check him up. His, uh, his Instagram and his YouTube is just his name, Mike Boyd, which is B O Y D. Uh, so definitely check him out. What about you, Sam? Who's been inspiring? you?
0: Well, I'm going to go the corny route, um, <laughs> and it's um, it's something that's been you know very evident to me this this last couple of months um, that this person inspi- has inspired me since I was a child. Uh, it's literally the reason I work with my hands, uh, and that's my dad. Um, so my my dad has been a tradesman his entire life. Literally, left high school and joined the RAF as a uh aircraft technician. Uh spent uh fourteen years in the RAF learning how to fix jets and, you know, bombers and all that kind of stuff. Then left that to come to Australia and start working on the mines, then ended up working in electronics and all kinds of stuff. He has literally done every manual trade you can think of. Uh and settled in as uh he wanted to build furniture for a long time and um He built his own furniture for uh, a number of years, ran a business like that, and then started doing actual buildings, um, and has done so until recently. And one of the reasons why it's so forefront in my mind is that uh, he is is finally coming to terms with the fact that he is getting too old. Uh, My dad turned 65 this year, and his body is not what it used to be. It's breaking down quite badly. Uh, a year of
1: manual work like that will do that, I suppose. Oh, man. He's doing
0: it. He's, he's slipped eight discs in his back. Um, he, he now can slip a disc just turning to grab his keys out of the car. Um, and he still works. Like, he still works three days a week at the moment. Uh, doing tiling and rock walls and stuff like that. Like, I'll regularly call him and ask him where he's at. And he's like, I'm six foot up a ladder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he doesn't stop. And... Um, You know, our conversations recently, like, he has lamented the loss of that, but also, he has never stopped wanting to do something, right? Even when he has been hospitalized, he has decided to learn something new. And in, like, in face of losing his uh, physical abilities as a builder, he has started picking up drawing. Like, one day he decided, I'm gonna learn to draw. And within, like, a couple of weeks, he can draw photorealistic portraits of people. Wow. And, like, he, he got to the point where he... where sketching, like, drawing with pencil was so boring for him because he could do it so well that he moved into watercolors and then oil painting and pastels and stuff. And he's doing, like, full lifetime lifestyle birds and, you know, animals and stuff like that that you would swear were photographs. And it's just something that he dedicates himself to, is learning something and perfecting it. Um, and it's something that he's always taught me. Whenever, when I was a kid, some of my most formative memories are of spending time in my dad's shed watching him build stuff. Uh, whenever I wanted a toy or something like that, he would build it for me. You know, screw buying it, he would build it. He built a twin-seater, uh, motor-powered friggin' go-kart for us, for me and my brothers. (laughs) Um, you know, he he has built like everything that I know of. He built a full size Dalek, um, oh, and, wow. and like programmed and like uh, electronically uh, wired up a voice changer for the driver, <laughs> and actually wired it up so that the wheels are run by a drill, <laughs> so you can move it around. <laughs> um, it is it's incredible. He he just he sets his mind to a task and he does it and. Like, he built the fiberglass dome on top of the dial, like, he had to learn how to make a mold, and then mm. then learn how to cast fiberglass, and then learn how to polish fiberglass, and all this kind of stuff, and yeah, he's, he's constantly encouraged me to learn new things, learn how to do something new with your hands every day, and if it wasn't him, I wouldn't have the passion for craftsmanship that I have now. Now, he and I have had our differences, and, you know, like any father-son relationship has been strained but he's also taught me quite a bit about taking accountability for your own thoughts and your own actions and learning to take criticism at face value and we've had many conversations where he and i have disagreed and he's we been willing to listen to me despite the fact that i'm his child and admit when he's been wrong and so that was one of the most valuable lessons for me it was learning That no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are at something, you need to always be willing to be wrong. And, like, the amount of life lessons that I've taken from my dad are, are, like, uncountable at this stage. And realizing that his health is faltering now and stuff like that, it's made me think that if I don't reflect on those things that I learned from him and, and, like actually uh, recognize that then it'll be gone before i know um and so yeah like it's it's just one of those things where i think we should all take time to thank those people that did inspire us as children as as young adults as as full adults that we uh, recognize those people who have inspired us to take up what we do and and how we do it
1: yeah absolutely I mean, um, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> it's
0: tr- certainly true in my t- dad's book. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, I mean, I, as I said, corny as hell, but um, I, I figure it, it, bears, it bears saying, because yeah, without him I wouldn't have this show, basically. <laughs> mm. There you go.
1: Well, hopefully he hears this, you'll have to send him a clip.
0: I will. I have to get someone to clip it for me. <laughs>
1: Still waiting for you to make use of the the clip of you oh, yeah, um, with, with the tea, the hibiscus I've, tea.
0: I've had other things <laughs> on my mind. <laughs> Nothing's more important than hibiscus tea. Well, I mean that is certainly true.
1: <laughs> now, normally. Um, we would just roll into emails and then tool time, as you guys know and love. But we have pretty much covered every tool there is <laughs> in a workshop. Pretty some much. Of them, some of them twice, accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we are retiring the tool time segment, guys. <gasps> I know. I know.
0: Whatever will we do without tool time?
1: I know. But we are replacing it. With technique time. <laughs> um <laughs> technique of the week. It doesn't doesn't so sound the
0: same, technique time.
1: No, but technique of the week is cool. I'll yeah, have to make cool. a jingle for it. Um so we're not going to be doing technique of the week this week because um we have so many emails built up while we've been away that mm-hmm. we're basically just gonna have Email
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and email time this week is licking your ear lollipops. Thanks to the em- <laughs> epic knife-making supply company in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Nordic Edge. <one laughs> so next time you're stucking up a goodie <laughs> for your
0: knife-making shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, how did you think that you were going to say that with a straight face? <laughs> I am sorry, Bjorn. If you ever oh, hear man. this... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Nordic Edge for sponsoring this video. If you want to get stuff from Nordic Edge, which you can get internationally and here in Australia... You, got, you guys <laughs> had
1: better contact Nordic Edge and just stock up because otherwise they're going to cancel us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 That's it. The show's over. <laughs> okay. Who? <laughs> Bring it in. All right. um <laughs> think, of, think of sad things. Professional recording here, I'm like, you know... Holy crap...
1: Nordicage.com.au, folks. <laughs> you know the drill. <laughs> it's worth it, just for that. They're awesome, guys. <laughs>
0: oh, dear. Someone said... Oh, man. A- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm waiting for a stern call from Bjorn.
0: <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, we love Nordic Edge. I just got some of their um, aged Juma um, Ivory substitute. Yeah, yeah,
0: man, that looks good. Ironically, you do actually sometimes get candy in your Nordic Edge packages. So... You do. That's <laughs> what made me think of it. It's gonna have to <laughs> switch <it's>, to lollipops.
1: <laughs> it's like I get more excited about the candy that's in the box, <laughs> oh, and then I'm like, dear. oh, that's right, knife no, making
0: stuff too. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we do have a lot of emails.
0: Yes, we uh, do.
1: Our first one is from Broden, who we were talking about before. No, Broden McCullough. And he asks, how were swords gilded with gold back in the day?
0: Ah, I actually have been doing research on this recently.
1: Oh, it's it's actually... Uh, he asked me first, and I'm like, I couldn't. I could just answer this for you but I'm going to make you wait. <laughs> and you got to listen to it on the show. Because there are a few different ways that it It, it really
0: does depend on the period you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it was done on not just swords. It was done on all sorts of things. Um, and mm. I actually know about it because of jewellery and how jewellery was done. Mm-hmm. Um, because how Sam uh, nerds out about how, like, swords and knives were made back before modern technology. I actually used to nerd out quite a bit about how some of the most exquisite jewelry that you see in museums was made back in the day.
0: Um, And funnily enough, uh, that's similar to how I found out about the various techniques used is because I was studying Japanese uh, engraving and stuff like that, which is mostly done on jewelry and sword fittings. Uh, And that's how I came across the uh, method by which uh, Victorian English uh, sabers and stuff like that were gilded. Especially because I want to make a blue and gilt sword at some point. Um, Well, funnily enough, like you think of
1: using working with gold um, Mm. is it's an intimidating thing because of the cost factor. Yeah, but a lot of um, old world gold gilding was done with gold leaf. Yeah, Um, but. Back in the day, they didn't quite have the technology and the machinery that we had. So gold leaf back then was about four times, five times thicker than the gold yeah, leaf that you can get today.
0: Hand-beaten, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and you can buy gold leaf now. You just The, the mm-hmm. mints and things in each country sell it to you. And you get it in a little pack with as many sheets as you order. And it's not that expensive because you're not getting that much gold.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, in Victorian English uh, blades specifically, uh, they're done by a form of what's called mercury gilding, um, which is to use an amalgam of mercury and gold, which is turned into what's called the butter of gold, which is, you know, just basically an alloy of mercury and gold. It is painted onto the surface and then the blade itself is heated up until the mercury boils off. Um it's an incredibly dangerous process, obviously. Oh yeah. Uh and that's that why and that's why blue and gilt blades are blue, is because uh it's heated to the point at which steel turns blue, which is the point at which Mercury About boils
1: 340 off. Three hundred and forty degrees Celsius.
0: Yeah, and so all Victorian swords of that period. So if you're talking about like um, you know sabers and stuff like that from around the Napoleonic era and and afterwards are uh, done in this way. They're done with the mercury amalgam, which is exactly the same way that the Japanese do gilding in their inlay in the engravings if they're not doing gold inlay, um, because obviously inlay is a much more expensive way of doing things. And you can still do that on swords, but gold wire is a hell of a lot more expensive than the micron's thick layer of gold you're going to get out of a mercury amalgam.
1: Because that's the thing. A, a piece of gold wire has orders of magnitude more mass than a piece of a sheet of, of gold leaf. Um, yeah. It's it's incredible how thin... Gold leaf is uh, today is literally the thinnest that you can get gold. Yeah before it's not there anymore
0: <laughs> it's literally like an atom thick <laughs>
1: it's, it's ridiculous like if, if it'll it'll um, it'll fly away in an instant like it weighs nothing you've got to be very careful there's not a breeze going on but uh, another way that they used to apply this was to actually um, get the steel to a black heat and burnish the gold leaf onto mm-hmm. the surface and it would literally just sort of by rubbing it in sometimes with polished antler as simple as that, Um, it would just braze essentially, to the surface of the steel. And you'd have to do this multiple times to get a nice even coat, and there was an art form to it. It wasn't as simple as just sort of rubbing it on, and it's perfect. Mm. Um, But it was... Much like brassing.
0: uh, Sorry? Much like brassing with a brass brush?
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, very similar. um, You just have the gold leaf sheet, and you just sort of rub it on, and it just melts into place. Yeah. sometimes it would actually be sort of wrapped around it like you would with tinfoil, and then Mm. just
0: heat it. Um,
1: And, yeah.
0: In India, I know that they use a form of koftgari, which is uh, basically... So it's called koftgari, or nunomezorgan, or damascening, which is to cut the surface of the material with either a chisel or a knife. In koftgari, it's a knife in... uh, Nonome's organ and Damascene its a chisel. Uh, you cut little teeth, like cutting file teeth, but you cut them at multiple angles on the same surface. And then you hammer the material into those cuts. So uh, sometimes sheet, sometimes wire. Um, and then that basically, the teeth grab that material on the surface. And that's how a lot of Viking uh, inlay, like overlay was done. Um, on sword fittings and stuff like that, but it's also quite common on um, Indian and Arabic swords, uh, especially the hilts. If you've ever seen tulwar hilts that are covered in silver vines and stuff like that, that's all koftgari, which is that cut surface, and then uh, the material is hammered on, on those teeth.
1: Funnily enough, the same way they would fit high-carbon bits into axes.
0: Hmm. Very similar, yeah.
1: Hmm. Uh, Interesting question, and something that could honestly be a topic in and of itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot to it.
1: Um, He did have another question, but you already had a video on it, (laughs) so I (laughs) directed the video. I have a video on Um, many things. You do, a great many things. Um, So our next email comes from Black Oak Ironworks, and he says, For keeping axe heads on handles, should I be using a wedge? I have axes mainly with wedges and one without, and the axe head without a wedge keeps coming loose and sliding down the handle any time I try to use it. I've tried hammering it down further onto the handle, and it feels pretty solid, but then it slides down. Thank you for making the Forgecast, listening to the new episodes, and my favorite part of the week. So, um, the wedges are the exact reason um, that, that, I mean, the heads falling off axes is the reason that wedges were invented. Uh, I would say it's not optional.
0: So well actually Unless you're
1: thinking of a tomahawk.
0: Yeah, so what are you saying by it sliding down the handle means the makes me think that this is actually a tomahawk. And um, not an axe. Yeah, so it's not an axe, it's a tomahawk. In mm. which case the fitting of the handle to the eye is improper. So yeah. it hasn't it hasn't been properly fitted. So it needs so you need to carve off more wood or need to make a new handle. Um One of the other easy ways to do it is to heat the eye, not the blade, like wrap the blade in a wet cloth, heat the eye with a blowtorch, and use that to char the wood, Uh, and that'll actually fit the eye a little bit more snug. Um, But tomahawks are designed to be easily removable from the handle. Uh, The action of swinging it keeps it in place, and then when Mm -hmm. it's not being swung, it doesn't really need to be in place. Um, if
1: you want a little bit extra swelling of the wood um, it's it, and you're not particularly cared about the aesthetics of it, um, soak the end of the handle with the axe head on it in some um, automatic transmission fluid overnight. Mm. Uh, yeah. It soaks up into the wood fibers and it sticks in. A lot of people do this with linseed oil, but the ATF works a lot longer. lasts for ages, but it swells the wood up and it will grip the head a bit better. It just turns the the wood an
0: ugly green color. hmm <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're worried about the aesthetics, a 50-50 mix of linseed oil and turpentine will work yeah. fairly well, and then yeah. just, you just have to repeat it every now and again. It's the same for hammers. Um, but yeah, so for tomahawks, you're obviously not going to throw a wedge in it because that's not how tomahawk heads work. Um, no. But if it's like a standard axe, wedges are not optional.
1: <laughs> you can um, drill a hole in the side, drill and thread a hole in the side of the axe head and run a grub screw through... Um, you could certainly do some that pe- some people do that on Tomahawks um, I do that on mine it, it, it's a good way to hold on there you do get a wobbly head after a while if the wood shrinks um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't fall off no nah. um, so food for thought hmm. uh, hopefully that helps uh, next email is from Chris Hendry and he says hey guys well against all conventional wisdom and quite hypocritically, seeing as how I scream at my TV when this is done on fortune fire, I tried to straighten a warped and hardened blade by locking it in the vice and bending it mercilessly. I should not have been, but when it snapped, I was overcome with a brief moment of dumbfoundedness, followed immediately by pissed (laughs) offness Long story short, I made a one-inch smaller blade. I took some pictures of the grain structure and was wondering if you could evaluate it for me. I know it's hard to tell in the picture alone, but if you could say whether this grain structure is good, bad, ugly, or something else altogether, I would appreciate it. This was my first blade snapped, so I just want to see if my grain structure is ideal, or if you could identify how I could improve it, the grain structure, not the idiocy of the maker who broke the blade. Thanks, and as always, you guys rock. Uh, I did take a look at the photos. Um, it's, it's, It's good... It's not great. Um, it it could be a lot finer though. When you you say you want it to be ideal, ideal grain structure should look like um,
0: broken porcelain.
1: Yeah, or like like blue tack. It should mm-hmm. like felt. Grey felt is a really good one. Um, it's it's the, the the example I always give to people is to actually find a, a an old file and deliberately snap it. Um, when I say an old file, it's less likely to be case-hardened. You don't want a case-hardened file. You'll be able to tell if it's case-hardened because the inner core will be a different color to the outer part of it when you snap it. Yeah. Um, but if you get a good old file and you snap it, files, old like old Nicholson files or old Wiltshire files and that have beautiful grain structure inside them. As they should. It's just, it's the, as they should. It's, be, it's the... Um, perfect little uh comparison point if you keep it indoors so that it doesn't you know uh get all filthy and everything you can use it to compare it to other things until you're familiar enough with uh, what grain structure should look like but one thing you'll note is that when you snap an old file like that and you look at the grain structure you won't see any grain Mm
0: -hmm. it
1: will look like a flat matte surface the grain is there it's just that it's so small that your eye won't be able to see it unless you look really close, like under magnification. Yeah, um, that's ideal.
0: The way to chase ideal grain in a simple setup, if you're using a gas forge, I would highly suggest buying a uh, digital thermometer with a K-type thermocouple fitting, and drilling a hole in the side of your forge where it's the burner is not, um, <laughs> where the burner is not pointing at. Uh, and then learning to tune your forge and actually use the digital thermometer to help you with that. Uh, it's one of the ways that I use to heat treat in my forge uh, if I'm not using uh, my big Don kiln. kiln. Um, and make sure you're normalizing at least twice. Yeah,
1: take the time to normalize thoroughly uh, because, well, there's two things I've noticed because Sam and I hang around a lot of um, forums, Facebook groups, things like that, and we see a lot of the the questions and posts from a lot of beginners and there's two commonalities that we see. One is that we see people not normalizing or not Mm -hmm. thinking that they have to. The other one is that we see people not normalizing correctly. Um, Some people will be annealing and thinking that they're normalizing. Um, Some people have no idea what normalizing is and they're doing something that's utterly foreign to normalizing and not doing anything to the steel. Um, So understand the normalization process which is um pretty straightforward really you just let it cool nice and not too slow but just air cool in still air preferably hanging up uh, so that there's even stresses across the whole thing and even distribution of the heat just think if you were to take a knife that you've heated up to you know just say just say you've got it right to the curie temperature and then you go and rest it on a bed of sand for example you might think oh that's a good idea but the heat is coming out of one side of the blade at a different rate to the other side of the blade so if you hang it up it's all just cooling down at the same rate Um, one thing you see a lot of people do on forged in fire that i've seen people copy is that they swing the blade through the air to try and cool it faster but that's doing the same thing. The rushing air on one side is cooling that side of the blade faster than the other side of the blade. So don't do that. Just let it, let it cool in still air. And you don't need to let it get as cool as you'd think. Like it's good practice just to be safe to let it get to touch cool. But you know, if if it's past your temper color range, you know you you're, you're pretty good. Um, so below about what about four fifty degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, yeah because I'm assuming you're American. So, you know, if the, a good rule is if you were to flick a little bit of water at it and it doesn't sizzle, it's good. Yep. <laughs> that, that works anywhere, really, <laughs> unless you're on the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> um, and just do that three times. Really good process. If you want to be really, really picky about it, make sure your first one is uh, slightly above magnetic temperature. Uh, second one is at magnetic, uh, non-magnetic, sorry, and then um, one is slightly below non-magnetic temperature. Um, is the is the most thorough way you can normalize really in a in a home basic setup? If you're doing it on the Dodge, as we that's, like to do, that's the one. Yeah, and and look up your steel chart. Um, there's there's really no mysteries about quenching steel. Um, it's it's you just look up the type of steel that you're using. And you follow the instructions. And if you are unable to with your setup, use a different steel. <laughs> so um, hopefully that helps Chris. Next email comes from Nick Hinderer Next two emails comes from Nick Hinderer First one says, "If I get a duller looking purple instead of the gold color, did my heat treat go too far? Also, I'm use- well, he's moving into another question, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> it did. Well, yes, not necessarily, but, but yeah, it's yes, but oxides We've, are going to build up in a hot environment regardless, and it's those oxide oxidation layers on your steel that are causing the color changes to happen. Yeah, um, if,
0: you're, if, if you're if you're heat if you're doing a temper with a torch or something like that, then yes,
1: then yes. Uh, or if you've only had it in the oven for an hour, yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you've
0: left it in the oven for a while, or if it's fifty-two one hundred, because I found that fifty-two one hundred turns blue real fast. Real uh, fast, even even purple. at one even at one seventy five, uh, it actually turns blue real fast for some reason. Uh, mm. No it's idea the, why.
1: The way those oxides form must be different.
0: Yeah, but um, yeah, so not always. Uh, yeah, normally yes, that is the answer. But uh, do your testing. Do your brass rod test. Do your you know. Do all your standard sharpness and hardness tests. And And get a of those
1: hardness testing files. They're not that expensive, Dad, to your home shop if you're going to be taking knife making seriously.
0: Yeah, definitely advise that.
1: Mm. Um, So he moves on and says, also, I'm using a toaster oven. Oh, there you go. Uh, (laughs) How are those with keeping the temperature where it says it
0: is? Horrible. Friggin' terrible.
1: (laughs) Absolutely just... Balls to the wall, horrible. Toaster ovens are the worst possible option for heat treatment uh, if you want evenness. Even if you were to bury it in a thing of sand and everything, what the dial says, guaranteed I would put money on, is not what temperature is inside that uh, oven. So, I mean, Revision a- Ops has a great video series on YouTube on how to turn a toaster oven into a bit more of a reliable source, but. Unless you have any sort of background in electrical engineering, it is horrifically dangerous.
0: I use a toaster oven for most of my tempering, but I also use multiple thermometers inside my toaster oven. Uh, Those little meat thermometers you can get that you can stick inside your oven. Fantastically useful. Uh, I also bury most of the stuff that I temper in sand. Sand. Unless it's a hammerhead. Most of my hammerheads are just tempered, you know, I don't really care because it, the difference between 200 and 250 degrees when coming to hammerheads is not that extreme.
1: The reason that toaster ovens in particular are so bad and that our reaction is as is, is because the heating elements are so close to the work and there's yeah. no space for the heat to be able to dissipate into the air within the toaster oven. So um, if you're going to be using a toaster oven, bury the work in the sand... I would have like at least probably like a half inch of sand above and below the piece. So don't mm-hmm. like stick it on the bottom of a tray and then add sand to it. Have the same thickness of sand below it as above it. As yes. above, so below. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, and just that way you get that even coverage of the heat because toaster ovens, they'll have a heater on the bottom, they'll have a heating element on the bottom, they'll have a griller on the top um, and you can, con- depending on the model, you can control which ones firing off. But that either one or both of them, those elements are really close to your work, and those elements are usually cheap elements, and they usually have hotter ends and cooler ends and s- hot spots and things. And it's going to lead to one part of your work getting hotter than the other, and it's just, it's just not accurate. So. And the thermocouple for the switch is
0: terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: they basically pick the cheapest, dodgiest one, even on high-end models, because. It's for making toast. It's for making a grilled cheese. You can't really screw up grilled cheese. Um, So unless you're my old roommate, Hans.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, He he proved me wrong on that one. Um, But yeah, hopefully that helps. Um, He says, I've been binging your podcast and have listened to over 100 hours of it in these last two weeks. In two weeks. The one on Damascus really helped me on my last billet, which is awesome. I love the show and am so happy you all want to share as much of your knowledge as possible. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, for listening. 100 hours in two weeks is uh, more hours than I did work.
0: Serious dedication. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now, next email comes from him as well. He says, hello, Alex and Sam. I've pretty much just discovered your podcast and absolutely love it. I've learned so much. I've heard you mention oils for your knives multiple times when referencing Damascus. Do you oil your blades only when working with Damascus or high manganese uh, steels or do you use it with high nickel alloys as well? Thank you for taking so much time to make the Forgecast podcast and helping all of us learn the craft. So, I believe he's talking about like maintenance?
0: I I would, Yeah, I would say like protecting from rust.
1: Yeah. Oh, all steels really, except stainless steels, need to be oiled. Yeah, Uh, and if you're pedantic, you can even oil those. It's not going to hurt it. (laughs) (laughs) Not much much point, but it's good muscle memory. Um, The oil, I mean, folding knives, stainless folding knives still need oil because it gets in down into the work, so it makes them operate better. But But, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what type of carbon steel it is. Oil is going to help it. Even something like 52100, which is a carbon steel but behaves very similarly to to a stainless steel in that it's got a very high chromium content and does not like to rust. It's very rust resistant. But still, it can rust and will rust. Can and will. Yeah. Um, So there's no specific type of oil. I mean, people could argue, knife makers will argue until the cows come home on what is the best oil for your knives. I swear by Ballastol Oil. It's a German-made oil and it's wonderful. Um, it, is, it is the best of the best of the best of the best. And, it also stinks, um, but, you know. I can't dig the smell. I'm so not, li- not going to
0: lie. I kind of dig smells, it. It smells very aniseedy. It's very aniseedy. The, and o- I love only, me some aniseed. The only thing that gets me is that uh, every time I open the bottle, I have to cough. Like, it floods your lungs, and you just...
1: That's the thing. You never want to be... It's like acetone. You never want to have your nose over the lid. Yeah. Like, when you open it, you don't want to cop that first rolling yep. whiff because it will sit in your lungs. Funnily enough, Ballastol is completely natural product-based. There's mm-hmm. nothing artificial in there. You could drink it. I and wouldn't fact, recommend during, that. We don't recommend during, that. During, during World War II, German soldiers did drink it. Because they ran out of, they ran out of water. Don't drink your ballastol A. It's really hard to get uh, if, unless you live close to where it's made. And B, it's expensive if you've had to uh, get it far away from Germany and you don't want to drink it because it's not worth the taste for that price.
0: Really not no. <laughs> don't don't drink Ballastol. Like, just don't. <laughs> one, thing
1: you, one thing you can get, which uh, in lieu of Ballastol, is available almost worldwide, as far as I know, and despite its incredibly low price point, does a passable job, uh, like mm-hmm. a more than
0: passable job. Is good old three in one oil. Yeah, three in one.
1: That was my go to. That was my go to before
0: uh, Ballastol.
1: Yeah, it's um, it was, and I still, I, I, like every room in my house has a bottle of three in one tucked away somewhere in a rag, mm-hmm. um. Cause it's just nice. It's like, oh, this action's a bit stiff. 3 and 1. Oh, I'm about to post this off. 3 and 1. Um, but I'll tell you what if you do get some ballastol and you want to make it last as long as possible, get yourself a, a sealed jar. Stuff a rag down into it. Um, open the jar. Pour a little bit of ballastol in over the rag and then seal the jar. And that ballastol will. Um, capillary action seep to every part of that rag and every time you need to oil something open the jar take the rag out oil and wipe it down with the oily rag put it back in the jar and close it doing that i am still on my first bottle of ballastol that i bought five years ago still on it it's only got a little bit left but i'm still using it and um listener of the show stefan uh, from germany sent me a case Yep. I haven't I haven't I, gotten onto any of the bottles yet.
0: I only have I one, one, one of the bottles. <laughs> yeah. I'm still using it.
1: Yeah. Um, and if you do that rag method in the sealed container, it will last you a heck of a long time. Good old mm. Stefani sent me a lifetime supply, so I gave one to Sam. <laughs> the
0: the one caveat I would say, if you're using like food knives and stuff like that, like kitchen knives, uh, food grade oils. Just, just, you know, your mineral oil, food grade, mineral oil. Yep. Food grade mineral oil is probably your best bet because it's, uh, you know, it's not going to break down and it's not going to rot or anything like that. Um, but in lieu of having food grade mineral oil on hand, you can use literally any oil. So peanut oil, rice bran oil, just be aware of allergies that people may have. Of course, yeah. Um, olive oil, that kind of thing, will work. Just remember that if you're going to store it for long periods of time, you want to take that off and add something that is non-organic uh, because you yeah, don't because want it to rot.
1: Different oils also polymerize in different ways. So um, olive oil, for example, becomes tacky over time and could mm. gum up the works of, say, a folding knife. But ballast oil is edible, but it will make anything you use that knife on taste like aniseed.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, but if you've got your kitchen knives on a on a magnet strip in your uh, in your kitchen, then just use some olive oil or, you know, friggin' veggie oil or something like that, because you're probably going to be using them regularly enough that you don't have to worry about it gumming up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when it comes to
1: kitchen knives, food-grade mineral oil is my go-to, because it is tasteless. Mm. Um, a bit like me. <laughs> so, no comment hopefully that helps Nick um, our final email comes from Ben he says hey mates I'm back this is Ben I have a very short question that might have a long answer Sam will be all over this I mean, like <laughs> white, like, it's the white on rice <laughs> it's... on a paper plate and a glass of milk in a snowstorm <laughs> Said, "Where did Damascus originate from? Oh, I have heard it comes it from up. the city of Damascus <laughs> in the Middle East, but I can't find any info to back it up." Loving the podcast, keep it up. You guys make me happy when I'm angry or sad. Your friend <laughs> Ben. <laughs> Don't worry about <laughs> a thing, uh, cause every little thing <laughs> is
0: gonna, gonna be alright. Be all right. <laughs> Take it away, Sam. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, Ben. I did not mean that reaction to you. It's just that this is a subject that comes up every week in Blades. Daily, nightly, (laughs) and ever so rightly. (laughs) Seriously, every time you wander into a forum or like onto a Facebook page or onto a a YouTube channel, uh, (laughs) or or, or a podcast, um, (laughs) you will have people arguing about this fact. Until the cows come home. Literally, mm-hmm. just everyone has their opinion. As if it matters. <laughs> yeah. We have had, you know, m- like, a couple of people, uh, primarily, <coughs> primary among them, uh, Peter Burt, who is a Wootz specialist. Now, Wootz is what is considered the, quote-unquote, real Damascus steel, which is the complete OG. bullshit. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so, long answer short, hopefully sort of like my long answer is probably a 45 minute video but um no the short answer is is that where did original damascus steel come from there is no such thing the stuff that was referred to first in literature as damascus steel was actually pattern welded gun barrels in the early 1800s uh and that was in reference to damascene barrels so the damascus type steel barrels and the reason that that reference comes from is because in the period of the Crusades and early, you know, like early European uh, ingress into Arabia and you know Israel and all that kind of stuff, they came across what is what are known as watered steel blades, which is patterned steel blades, which are normally some form of crucible steel like woots. Now, woots is the name given to it by the Indian and I believe the Sri Lankan traditions and that is where Wootz originated. Wootz is a crucible dendritic steel that creates a pattern through the carbide segregation in the material because it's very very high carbon material um, that then you know kind of naturally bled into other East uh, Asian countries and obviously into uh, the Middle East um, and then was popularized in areas right like Damascus now there are arguments that there was a specific steel made around Damascus that was made from an ore found in Syria um, that had high levels of titanium in it, which is what led to it having a better carbide segregation for patterning than other ores of the time. Uh, because not all Wootz blades have a pattern. So that's something to remember. Um, but yeah, so the, the more uh, alloy content, the better the carbides were, the you know more patterning there was. And so therefore, the... English and the Europeans in general uh, kind of recognized any material that was patented as being Damascus steel. So basically they called it Damascus steel because it looked like the stuff that they'd seen in Damascus. Um, but Damascus steel in historical records and stuff like that from Europe um, and, you know, from the Middle East, uh, European origin of the Middle East, mostly referred to any patterned steel. So it could be woots, could be patent welded Anything like that could be referred to as Damascus Steel according to history and according to modern, you know, kind of conversational English, we normally refer to pattern welder steel as Damascus. Where is the original Damascus Steel? No one friggin' knows.
1: <laughs> Why would you say something so controversial and yet so brave? <laughs>
0: I am fully willing to be wrong on this one, but I've done a lot of research and I've been asked this question a million times. The keyboard um, warriors are cracking their knuckles oh, right mate, now, Sam. The, the emails are going to flood in, but yeah, no, realistically, <laughs> Damascus Steel as we know it today can refer to either Pattern Welder Steel or Wootz, and normally when we're talking about Crucible Damascus, so we're talking about Wootz, we refer to it as Wootz Damascus Steel. Um, normally when referring to generic Damascus, we normally refer to that as pattern-welded steel, blah blah blah. It doesn't really matter. Like, realistically, it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> if I say Damascus steel, most people are going to think of a pattern-welded blade. There are going to be a couple of people who are going to think, ah, actually, actually. but this, but they're still going to think of a pattern-welded steel blade before they correct me. Really? <laughs> You're still going to think of a pattern-welded steel blade and then correct me to say, woots, which... Woots itself isn't called Damascus Steel by most people, it's called Woots so your argument is invalid, sorry I will it die on this hill robbing. <laughs> Anyway, thank you very much my for the triggers. interesting question Ben I'm sorry that you triggered a little bit of a rant from me, I know you guys will enjoy when I get passionate about my steel, but yeah that is one yep. that um, is going to be fought until the end of days um, but as far as I'm concerned it really doesn't matter
1: what uh, what an eventful episode! Oh man, this episode's been great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <A> train wreck, <laughs> much like this year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Eventful and a train wreck.
1: But um, we uh, we are just like this year, reaching the end anyway. <laughs> Haven't really had a topic this week. We're just glad to be back.
0: We were going to do a little bit of a rewind of 2021, but realistically, we all know what 2021 who, was like.
1: Who, who wants to relive that shit? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Roll on 2022 and all of the wonderful things that are going to happen. Well, we'll remind everybody, though, that we do
1: have a competition going here.
0: Apparently everyone's forgotten.
1: Everybody except Kat. Good old Cat. Yep. She's She's been having a go. She still Ever hasn't reliable. finished it. You know, she's having a go.
0: I'm still firmly of the belief she only is doing that one because she can't do the Bowie build-off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, it's like whittling tools—that's mini knives. This is right yeah, exactly. in my wheelhouse. Exactly. Eh?
0: Because <laughs> she's Canadian. And there are prizes for the forgecast competition this month, so it's there are, much. and
1: yet, and yet, nobody's really
0: keen on entering, which is interesting. So, mm.
1: The competition is, though, to make a beautiful set of wood carving tools that must include at least, so it can be more, but at least a Warncliffe whittler, which is like a, a, a Warncliffe knife is like a sheep's foot that's really long and extended mm. um, with a straight cutting edge. A spoon gouge and a bowl carving knife. Those two are pretty much the same just different diameters. Um, and show us that they work. Carve something. doesn't have to be a finished thing. Just show us carving wood with them. Um, and use the hashtag, hashtag ForgeCastCompetition, which is not the hashtag to use for Sam's buoy build-off. Sam's buoy build-off no. is not related to the ForgeCast. It's just related to Sam. Yeah, it's just me. Big Fudge is big enough on his, on his own. He doesn't need the ForgeCast to be linked <laughs> to his competition. No, because it muddies the really waters for us trying to tools. find. <laughs> yeah. It muddies the waters trying to track down people who are entering the competition. So, hashtag ForgeCast Competition if you are joining in on the whittling set, the wood carving set. Um, but you still have until the end of the year. We will be running this until that's like a week and a half left. Plenty of time to make whittling tools. Yeah, of course. I mean, whittling tools you can do in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, So the prizes are pretty good too. It is stabilized, beautiful handle blocks from Otway Fiddleback. Ryan at Otway Fiddleback, who you should definitely follow on Instagram to see his wares. Um, The first prize gets three blocks. Second prize gets two blocks. And third prize gets one blocks. But
0: they're just going to get sent to us if you guys don't enter this competition. Feel free not to enter then. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, no, enter please, because they won't actually get sent to us. Ryan will keep them for no, himself. No, that's right, he will. Um, we, um,
1: I know we haven't been around for the last month to be able to goad you on on this, but do enter because Ryan's blocks are some of the best that there is. Mm, so he absolutely. gets them stabilized by the remarkable Dean Kasai at Reclaim Creative. And Jeezy um, does a good job.
0: Mm.
1: so stable you could park your car on it <laughs> <laughs> it's true that hashtag don't try try, try parking your car on the lot. no yeah, don't do that unless it's all way blackwood that stuff's hard
0: as hell <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the note of the Townsbowie build off that is the hashtag hashtag build off uh, there is it running until the same time of the forge cars competition if you want to make a bowie knife and enter it all of the details are on my instagram page and my youtube channel so Check that out, but that's not part of the Forgecast. That is literally just from me. And while you're on YouTube, check
1: out my latest YouTube video because I was shocked at the results.
0: As was I. I was actually very interested in the results that you got out of the coffee etching video. So yeah, if you're interested in Damascus and coffee etching in general, check that video out because it's actually quite interesting.
1: Literally no part of it went the way I thought it was going to go.
0: No, nor me.
1: I I have not understood coffee etching this entire time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I still don't. I'm going to have to do a follow-up video. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So, um, otherwise, guys, keep those awesome questions rolling in. Send them through to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And uh, hit us up on social media if if you're around. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for The Forgecast. And if you're looking for Sam, where can they find you?
0: You can find me at Samtown's Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Patreon, Twitch, Redbubble and the Kitchen Sink. Where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks. You can find
1: me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, oh, Redbubble, Etsy everywhere. I'm like a bad smell, you can't get rid of me. You guys make sure you enjoy yourself this holiday season, have a good Christmas or Yule or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or, or, Hanukkah <laughs> or <laughs> Solstice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, any of the above, or just dwell in the void like Nihilists. Ah, yes. It's just a Saturday. Yep.
0: I'll probably be working, so (laughs) (laughs)
1: you're not wrong. I'll be working on fitting Christmas lunch into my face. <laughs> I've been I thought doing. Thought you were going
0: to f- go into a D's nuts
1: joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for the last couple of days because I celebrate Yule, which started two days ago and goes mm. for twelve days. So, um, a lot of food. Let me tell you, I am walking like John Wayne everywhere.
0: Apparently, I celebrate Yule every day.
1: There you go. All right, that's so, well, a good one. Yeah, we'll see you again soon. We're back. I look forward to a new season with you guys. Catch you on the next one.